0: Good morning, Village Church. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you um, have gotten to know me a little bit, you'll know that um, I particularly love taking groups of students, or just groups of people, to Colorado to climb 14,000-foot mountains. They are one of my favorite things to do. And uh, Kevin Chandler is um, one of the guys who we've taken a number of teams out together, and uh, what happened is we took a group of high school students i think it had been about four or five years ago and uh, we were in for a little bit of a surprise this group would be i would say not in shape is that a nice way to say it Um, so we told this group of students we said well yeah Uh, we said uh, now you you, many of you don't know which group i'm talking about right so there's a couple of you have been on a couple trips but this particular group most of the students were not in great shape so we told them all, you need to be able to run two miles before you leave just to get that acclimation process kind of started. And, uh, of course, as high school students, they were like, we got this totally under control. We're going to master this mountain. It's going to be amazing. And there is nothing like the majesty, the greatness, and the beauty of Colorado mountains uh, to humble a prideful high school student or any other person from the Midwest. Um, so I lived in Denver for a semester, and just walking up the stairs at about 5,000 feet in elevation took the wind out of me. Where we go and we stay, it's about 9,600 feet elevation, and uh, in Breckenridge, where our Our home bases. So um, before we got to the mountain, um, we usually take about five days to get ready, to acclimate. We do a bunch of little hikes and trips between there. We do a bike ride. Day two, we do a bike ride. And you think a bike ride not, we're not talking bike ride like in the mountains. We're talking about pretty straight paths. It's pretty simple. And and so we thought we'd get, you know, our kids' blood flowing. And and so we go on this bike ride. 10, 15 minutes into it, all we hear is, my legs hurt. I can't breathe. It's too hard. We haven't even gotten to a mountain yet. We're not at 14,000 feet yet, right? We're just, so God honest truth, this is is probably one of the weirdest scenarios that has ever happened to me in my life. We are on this bike ride. We're about 15 minutes in, and Kevin and I are kind of in front, and this kid who's been talking it up the whole time, I'm gonna master this mountain. I'm gonna take it down. He has an asthma attack right behind us on the bike, And Kevin and I are like, oh man, well that's like ironic. And uh, so we we go back and we're trying to get to him. As we are getting close to him, one of his friends pulls up, also out of shape, um, pulls up and uh, puts his feet on his bike, blacks out, falls straight to the ground. We're not done. Oh, just wait. Kevin and I look at each other like, what is going on here? So, about 10 seconds later, we're getting closer, right? And then one of our leaders pulls up and she pulls out a, a, a thing of water. She blacks out, falls back, water is dripping on her face. And Kevin and I are thinking, this is insanity. Like, this has got to be a practical joke. So, Kevin and I are off our bike, we're walking over, and then we hear behind us, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Two women that we don't know um, underestimated the the turn, and they flew off of the trail going full speed. Now, just so you know what they flew into, dead pine trees, okay? Yeah, you're telling me, I'm thinking blood passed out. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I look at Kevin, and I say, all right, Kev, I'll take care of these women. You go over, take care of the students, and we part ways, and I'm sitting here thinking, y'all have massively underestimated the power of the state to humble you, you have massively underestimated some of you are actually in this room who were there, and this is a great principle that I just want to, I want to um, explain for you and it 's before you can enjoy something of great power, you have to have a healthy fear of it first. If you just go to that state without preparation, without uh, getting the right uh, uh, resources and materials, like you are going to get hurt or you're going to pass out before you even get the opportunity to do it, as many of our students learned in that moment. And uh, I think of the person who um, invented or found or discovered electricity for the first time. uh, Learned very quickly to respect it lest you die, okay? Uh, Yesterday, I was, or two days ago, I was changing um, a light fixture in our hallway. And uh, of course, what do you do when you play with electrical wires? You turn them off, and you turn the power off. Well, I thought, you know, I'll just turn the light switch off. Well, X walks up. He's flipping the light switch on and off, and and I'm thinking... Wait, is up, down, and off, or is down, off, is up, down? Wait, what's going on here? And, uh, but those are those moments where, like, you take that seriously, because without that healthy little fear, you're toast. I mean, how many people have died unnecessarily from electrocution because they didn't take the threat seriously? I think about nuclear power, this great, amazing, powerful resource. It's not a political comment. Don't worry, I'm just saying it's powerful, right? And you don't take that seriously. You don't have a healthy fear of that. What's going to happen? You're going to get tumors and boils and die, and it's going to be a terrible circumstance. And I think it's the same with God. Here's the premise of this morning. We're going to unpack this through an experience in David's life. Before you can enjoy the presence of God, you must have a healthy fear of God. Before you can enjoy the presence of God, you have to have a healthy fear of God. David says in Psalm 2, we're going to hear this, he's talking to kings and rulers in the world, and he says, Now therefore... O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So, how do I serve with fear and at the same time while I'm experiencing fear? rejoice. What does it look like to actually take pleasure and joy in something, but do that with a sense of trembling? And I want to unpack this for you and show you what this looks like then and now, but this is the tension. How do you worship and enjoy and love uh, a God who can destroy you like this? How do you enjoy something that is so terrible, so petrifying? And I think here's the point. Um, If you prepare correctly, um, the presence of God can be one of the most enjoyable experiences on planet earth. Now, I like my kids. My kids and I have far too much fun with each other. We laugh and we play. But let me tell you, that enjoyment that we have with each other is based on a healthy fear that they have. And when they cross the boundary, it goes from enjoyment of one another to discipline and, and, and usually tears because they want something that they didn't get. right? And this is the same way. Every good relationship with a dad has to be founded in fear. And in the same way, it's the same way with God. And this fear sets the platform or the environment for a real Intimate relationship of joy. David says this in Psalm sixteen eleven. He says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, So when David thinks of God, when he steps back and he he thinks of God, he doesn't just think of a guy in a robe with long hair who has a peace sign. David thinks this, whatever the most enjoyable thing on planet earth is, right? And where there are pleasures that do not ever, ever stop, they go on and on and on for all of eternity. In David's mind, that place is wherever God is. That where God is, there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So any idea that you have of Jesus that does not come with it, uh, him being the source of pleasures that are better than anything on this universe is not high enough of a thought of him. I think most of the reason that people reject Jesus Christ or they're not interested in him or enamored in him is because they don't see him for as majestic and glorious and engaging and entertaining and as beautiful as he actually is. We have such a small idea of Jesus, who Jesus is, and that's why we give him such small worship. I think now when she opened up her eyes and stood before the Lord, I think she probably said something like this. This is way better than anything I ever could have imagined. I don't want to go back. (laughs) I want to stay right here because at the right hand of Jesus Christ are pleasures forevermore. Uh, One of my favorite verses at every memorial service I ever get to do, I read this. It says this, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. So that whatever thought you have, whatever idea of pleasure or joy or entertainment or engagement, and whatever ideas that you have, your heart cannot even imagine what God has in store for you, what right pleasures are at the right hand of God. As we get into this text, I... Um, uh, set up your notes with three questions. So if you look at your notes, you'll see three questions. And I did this because I want you to be asking yourself some very probing questions throughout this. And these are opportunities for you not just to learn about David, but these are questions for you that will help you dig deep and really ask yourself if you're able to enjoy the presence of God. And the first question you'll see in your notes is this. Do you desire the presence of God? Do you desire the presence of God. So we're in Second Samuel chapter six. And I want to share with you what's happened so far. Um, David has named Jerusalem his capital city. He has built a huge palace for himself. And Saul's final living son is dead. David, in the chapter before, has been anointed the king of Israel. And now, this chapter, chapter 6, is the first decision that he is going to make as the king. This is going to set the tone of his entire leadership. This is going to set the tone for the next 40 years of the nation of Israel. And here's what he does. David goes after the presence of God. David wants the nearness of God, the presence of God. And here's where I want you to start. In verse 1, it says this, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel. 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah, here's, here's, here's what he wanted, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned, on the now, there's a couple things I want you to notice about verses 1 and 2. We need to dig into this. Some of you have no idea what the ark is, but what is the object of this event? The object of this event, the very thing that they want to go after, is this thing that is called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, very simply, is a box made out of acacia wood. And it's about just under four feet long, and it's just over two feet in height and width. On top of the box, it's called the mercy seat. This is basically a lid. And on the mercy seat, there was two cherubim that were pointed, their wings were pointed toward each other. And then you'll see that there are four um, loops for poles so that it could be carried with poles. Um, now this is very important because this object was made 400 years before David uh, in Second Samuel chapter 6. And it has been sitting dormant in a barn on a hill for at least 20 years. Now I want you to understand a couple things about the ark. This did not just symbolize the presence of God. This was the place on earth under the old covenant where God said, I will dwell here. This was the location so that if Moses wanted to talk to God, he would go into the tabernacle, which was a big tent. He would go into the Holy of Holies, which was the innermost room, and he would walk up to this. And it actually says Moses was the only one to talk to God face to face. And so the presence of God was centered in the ark. This wasn't just like a symbol, like communion. This was actually wherever this went, God went. Now, it did symbolize four different things. And if you're taking notes, you can write down these four words. It symbolized, number one, God's rulership. Uh, It symbolized this because inside of it were the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone with the laws of God. And this was to remind the people that God is the lawmaker. God is the one in charge. God is the king. He's the one who executes discipline and sets the rules and blesses. God's the ruler. Number two, this uh, symbolized God's reconciliation. Inside of it was the staff of Aaron the priest. And this was a reminder that God had set aside um, the house of Aaron to be the ones who were going to be the priest forever. Now, uh, what the staff symbolized, at the end of the day, what the priesthood symbolized was that they would go into this ark and they would take the blood of a shed animal and they would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat. And this was an act of, uh, of propitiation that would take away the sins, if you will, temporarily. And so the ark became the place where the blood was sprinkled on so that the sins of the people could be temporarily removed. Number three, it represented God's provision. Inside the ark was also a piece of manna, which was the bread that God provided in the wilderness for the Israelites to feed on uh, while they were running away from Egypt and getting ready for the promised land. And it was a reminder that God is the one who provides. So everywhere they would take this, they were reminded that God is our ruler. God is the one who reconciles us. God is our provision. But number four, this symbolized God's righteousness. Now there were some rules around this ark. And here are the rules. You need to pay attention carefully because this is going to affect how we understand what happens in this text. If one looks at this ark, what would happen? They would die. If one touches the ark, what would happen? They would die. God is very serious about this. Because God is training and teaching his people something very important about himself. He is righteous, and he is holy, and we are not. He is teaching that he is not to be approached lightly, but that he has designated a very specific way by which humanity can approach God. And if you go outside of the boundaries of the method or means that he has put in place, you will not survive. You will not survive. And God is teaching us this. And we're going to watch this principle play itself out. I want you to notice the grandeur of this event. David, at the end of the day, wants everyone to know this. What is going to mark my reign, my leadership, is that this administration is going to be about the exaltation of God. We want God in our midst, in our presence. We will go get him, and by God's will, bring him here so that we can be blessed because we want him, because at his right hand, whoever is with God experiences pleasures forevermore. Now, under Saul's reign, um, the ark was only sought after to win a battle, like God was a genie. And we are not supposed to pursue God's presence simply for the blessing. We are supposed to pursue God's presence for himself and then the blessings come. And David got this. David wanted God's presence, period. And it just comes back to this first question. Do you really, really, do you really want the presence of God? Number two, are you authorized to approach God? David and company made three irreverent decisions that were going to cost them on their life. And the first decision comes in verse three. It says this, And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, just remember that word new, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. Doesn't it sound like a golf cart? Anyone else? I keep thinking like it just watching them in my mind's eye, driving with the Ark of the Covenant on top, and that's what's, anyways. With the Ark of God, and Ahia went before the Ark. Now, here's, here's the deal. How did the law designate that the Ark was to be carried? On a cart? No. On a new cart? No, they're missing the whole point. With poles, that's it. So, right now, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to put yourself in God's uh, shoes here, okay? There's a party that's starting to happen. People are getting excited. We'll watch this. And God is starting to get frustrated. It's building. Number two, David and company's second reverent decision. Uzzah and the others were not Levites. Who were the only people allowed to carry the ark? Answer Levites. Levites. Now, this ark might have been in his home for the last 20 years, right? He might have some um, familiarity with it, but he did not have authorization, he did not have jurisdiction to touch this, move this, or do anything with the ark at all. Now, God's getting more and more frustrated. Not only are they moving it in the wrong way, but the wrong people, not authorized to move it, are doing this. But number three, um, they touched the ark. Verse five, David... And all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Now, do you think God is enjoying himself at this point? No, lots of worship, lots of parting, but the most frustrated, upset person in the room is gonna be God. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. How many of you would have done the same thing? I'm gonna raise my, my hand here, right? It's gonna fall, It's the ark of God. This is really important, right? And here's what happens. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God party over. I mean, God is making a clear statement. Do not mess with me. I do not make laws arbitrarily or randomly. I can be your greatest joy, but if you cross me, hear me, it will not go well for you. Now, hold on. I know where your hearts are going here, okay? The one, I think the one thing that God is training his people right now, the one area, do not cross them, is this. There is only one way to God. That's it. There's only one means, one path. If you try to approach God without authorization, you will end up like Uzzah. And God has told them, if you want to come near to my presence, if you want to draw near to me, there's one way to do it. And if you ignore my law and if you ignore my rules, you will become like Uzzah. Now, we'll get there. Hold on. I'm going to tell you what that is, but keep going. David has two responses. It says this in verse 8. David was angry. How many of you would be angry? I'd be like, his motives were good, his intentions were good, but here's the point. When it comes to approaching God, it does not matter what your intentions are. In this moment, intentions are irrelevant. The only thing that matters when you approach God is that you approach God on his terms, in his way, with his means. Nobody will die and stand before God and say, but I had good intentions. It will not work there because this is what God wants his people to know right here and right now. Of all the things you hear, do not approach God without authorization. Because if you do, you will end up just like Uzzah. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah, which basically means slaughter of Uzzah. I mean, from that day forward, everybody remembered this place is the place where Uzzah uh, uh, entered into jurisdiction and territory he had no authorization to enter into, and he died that day for his breach of faith, despite his good intentions. I think David is angry because of two reasons. Number one, David's motives were good, right? I think we can all agree on that. David wanted the presence of God near his people, because David is a man after God's own heart. But God has just humiliated and humbled David publicly, in front of all of his people, his first move as the king of Israel, God says no. And he kills the man on the spot. And at the end of the day, who's responsible for the blood of Uzzah? I think David. Guess what? Leaders take, responsible when th- take responsibility when things don't go well. And I think the second reason he's angry is because he, he is put into it in his place. I imagine God goes up to David and he says, you might be a king, but hear me, you are a small k-king. I am a capital K king. I am the king of kings. You submit to me. Just because you have all of these people who will wait on you hand and foot and tell you everything you want to hear. Understand this, when it comes to your reign, you are under my leadership. I am your king. You do what I say, when I say, how I say it. That's your job, enact my law. Live this out. And God particularly is saying, if you're going to approach me, right, you're going to approach me on my terms, in my way, the way that I have designated second emotion sphere verse 9 and david was afraid of the lord that day and he said how can the ark of the lord come to me so david was not willing to take the ark of the lord ark of the lord into the city of david but david took it aside to the house of obed edom the gittite and the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Git three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now I imagine Obed-Edom didn't go pick up the mercy seat and look inside and call around the Ten Commandments. I imagine he didn't take a bite of the manna, right? I imagine he didn't look at it, he didn't touch it. And here's what happens: Obed Edom is sitting there and he's like, I just got a my salary was doubled. Some person I don't even know just died and left me eight million dollars. You wouldn't believe it. Somebody just paid off my home. This is unbelievable. Life starts just going well and better for him and better for him. He's like, I just lost 40 pounds overnight. Like, I'm ripped. I've got a six-pack. This is amazing. I mean, his life is just getting better and better and better. Three months of this, uh, and there's a really neat principle here, which is where the presence of God is. uh, If he approves of where he's at, he blesses the people. What's really funny is in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 4, uh, 70 of the Israelites looked at the Ark of God. And you know what happened? They all died every one of them. Then the Ark of God is stolen by the Philistines. And the Philistines take it, and they bring it to a city named Ekron. And when they are in Ashdod, when they're in Ashdod, all of the men start dying and getting tumors and boils all over their body. So the men of Ashdod say, well, why don't we just bring it to Gath? Right? We'll see what the Gathites do with it. They bring it to Gath, and all the men in Gath start dying and getting boils all over their body and tumors. And then they say, well, let's take it over to Ashdod. We don't like them anyway, so they take it over to Ashdod. Same thing happens. And finally, they're like, get rid of the of God we don't want it anywhere near us and it just goes into hiding for 20 plus years it's so sad and Saul only went to go get the Ark to win favor in a battle of which he lost anyways why did he lose even though the Ark was with him because he wasn't using God the way God wanted to be used God wants to be pursued for his sake he wants to be loved because he's God not just because of the blessings that come with being in his presence I want to pause, and I want to tell you the so what, and then we'll finish the story. Do you have authorization to approach God? Under the old covenant, there were rules. You don't go into the Holy of Holies. You don't go play around on the, uh, on the ark. In the, old co- in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, they promised that one day we will come a time when their law will be done with. There will be a new law. And here's what the new law basically says. That God no longer will be bound up in a box. God will no longer be put into a tent or a tabernacle. But God Himself will take up residence in actual people. I want you to catch this so that. So that the Jewish man or woman or child from back in the day living under the old covenant could not even barely have categories of what it would mean that the God who was so unapproachable now would take up full residence in the very people of God. So that, catch this, how far away is God from the person who's placed their faith in Jesus? Everywhere you go, there he is. Everywhere you go, there he is. You cannot get away from him. In fact, he dwells inside of you. And this is unthinkable. So here's the question. Do you have jurisdiction? to approach God? Well, here's how it works. There is only one way to approach God from now on until Jesus comes back. This is the only way. And anyone who bypasses this way turns into Uzzah and is under the wrath of God. Here's the way. You come through Jesus by faith, and that's it. That's it. There's nothing else. There is no other religion, there is no other man, there is no other God, there is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so here's the point. Here's the new rule, here's the new law, here's how it works, okay? If you want to approach God, if you want to have jurisdiction, if you wanna be given authorization to come near God, here's how it works. You go to Jesus by faith. And you ask him to forgive your sins and you receive eternal life. And then here's what he says. Here's the promise. If you come through me, my response to you will be, able to, will be to put my spirit inside of you. So that now, if you want to approach God, do you need to go to a tabernacle or a temple or a church or a box? No. Everywhere you go, there he is. Everywhere you go, there he is. You can pray anytime. You can approach the throne of grace, as Hebrews says, with absolute confidence. You can run up to the throne of grace, metaphorically speaking, without hesitation, because every one of your sins has been placed on Jesus Christ. God has no more wrath or anger left for you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. Therefore, because I have no anger toward me, I can approach God with absolute confidence because God is in me and his spirit is inside of me. Do you have authorization to approach God? Some right? Some of you here, I know that every, every single week there are some who have never come to God on God's terms, and yet when life is hard, we say, help me, help me, help me, help me. And here's this thing, come to me on my terms, then we can talk. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, then I will give you my spirit, and now you have complete unfettered access to me at all times. And I think this is what God would want to say to so many people is, you want me, but you don't want me on my terms. Come to me on my terms, for my sake, and I will listen to you. Come to me, and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. It goes on, we're in verse 12. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, catch these words, with rejoicing. With rejoicing. His joy is grounded in a healthy fear of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of God, our ark of the Lord, had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox, and a fattened animal. I imagine they pick up the ark, right? And uh, the book of Chronicles tells us that they did this in the right way. And uh, they carried the pole. They had Levites and all the other stuff. And I imagine they take six steps. And they're like, David, could you sacrifice an animal? Because we're really, really nervous. I know what the law says, but the last guy who did this, he got obliterated, and we don't want to do that. And so David says, all right, let's, 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 let's have a sacrifice. And, and uh, I just imagine these guys were super concerned. And, and the book of First Chronicles actually— um, uh, shares with us um, some of the details of this story from the priest's perspective. And here's what um, First Chronicles 15 says about this. David is talking to the priest. And he says, Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. And now they're getting it right. Now this is repentance. This is coming to God on God's terms, in God's way, for God's sake. And this brings us to our third question. Have you enjoyed the presence of God. Let's watch David's response in verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. I'm going to do a dance right now. I'm just joking. My wife just looked at me. Literally, this is her face. That was so good. I was waiting for that. I can't dance. It's actually atrocious and terrible and an evil sight. But uh, David apparently was awesome. And uh, guess when you're the king, you can dance with all your might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is basically the priest's garments. He didn't have his kingly attire on. He was a servant um, serving the Lord. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Isn't that cool? With shouting with the sound of the horn. Now is the Lord... Now is the Lord excited? Yes. And now they have authorization to approach God, to draw near with confidence because they're doing it in the way that God said he wanted to do it. Now, can they enjoy the presence of God even though they have this healthy fear of him? Absolutely, absolutely. And then we meet David's wife, Michael. Awesome name though, but. As the ark of the Lord... Came into the city of David. I almost want to say it like this Michael. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before whom? Before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Verse 17, and they brought the ark, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Go to verse 20. And David returned home to bless his household. David has had this incredible experience. He has been in the presence of God. He is filled with joy. He is so excited that God's presence uh, focused on the ark is in the center of his people now. And have you ever had those moments where you're just so excited and so excited, and then somebody close to you just kind of quenches all of your joy, right? David goes home, and he's going home. It says this, to bless his family. He's going home to bless them, to encourage them, to tell them about God's presence, to build them up. And he's met met by his wife at the front door and says this, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself, like father, like daughter so concerned with the external, so concerned with what people would think, barely, if at all, concerned about what God thinks. David's response is priceless and harsh. David said to Michael in verse 21, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, The people of the Lord. I love this line. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Somebody give me an amen on that one. I mean, so great. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. I don't care what you think. This is not before Michael. It's not before the servants. This is before, say with me, the Lord, the Lord. That's it. That's it. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them shall I be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. One of the greatest shames of this culture, whether David completely left her alone from that point forth, that seems to be the case And what it's implying, that you are no good for me. You stand between me and enjoying the presence of my God. The greatest joy that I could possibly have on earth. You're a hindrance to that. And David steps back and he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. When you notice just a couple things about David's worship, he so enjoys God's presence. Number two, David worshiped before God and no one else. I mean, David wasn't private. This wasn't like a private dance. This was public, but he didn't care because was he worshiping so that the person next to him did not feel or did not think he was less or more of him? No, he worshiped for God before the Lord. The person to his right or to his left were irrelevant. And finally, David's joy, which is great, was grounded in a healthy fear of God. want to close with this. The ark symbolized Jesus. God, his presence, not dwelling in a box, but fully in a man. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Jesus, not just representing, but actually the reality, is our righteousness, is our ruler, is our provision. Jesus is everything that the ark symbolized. Jesus is the full presence of God in our midst. And I love that Jesus comes to us and says, If you trust in me, my spirit, the fullness of God, will dwell fully in you. And you will have full authorization to approach me and to enjoy me. Full authorization. At any moment, you can speak to me because wherever you go, there I am. You can never get away from me because it doesn't matter how far you try to run. I am always with you. You might rebel against me for a season. I am still in you, and you can never get away from me. And at any moment, the believer in Jesus Christ, even if there's a season where we just disobey, can come back in repentance because God is always in us and with us. God's anger toward our sin, if we've trusted in Christ, if we've come to Him on His terms and His way, has been completely put on Jesus. So there is no anger left toward us from God for our sins. Discipline at times? Can I get an amen? Yes. Yes. Anger? No. So that we, no matter where we're at, no matter where we go, no matter when we need him, do we need to go to an ark or to a tabernacle or to a temple? No, we stop because the full presence of God dwells in his children. This is one of the most compelling reasons to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, and one day we get to be with the most glorious, beautiful, majestic being you could ever possibly imagine. And between that day and this day, we have the fullness of his presence, which gives us unfettered, complete and total access to him anywhere we are, no matter what. I want to summarize this morning's message like this. Jesus Christ is the presence of God. He is to be desired more than anything. You can say amen to that. He is to be approached on God's terms, which is by faith alone. He is to be feared should we approach him by any other means other than faith. And he is to be reveled in despite what the Michaels of this world would think. I want to invite the band to come up, and I want to close with you and read um, a song that David wrote after this experience about this experience first chronicles sixteen here 's what David wrote: "Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth." Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. Village church, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I want to read to you verse 11 again. Seek the Lord. In his strength, seek his presence continually. Let's stand together and worship.